All right. Well, <clears throat> I just had a long cry as uh, I realized it was today, four years ago, in this house, right above this studio where I record this show, that my mother passed away. I hope you'll indulge me as I share some memories <clears throat> of this incredible woman. I'm going to try my hardest not to break down, but man, am I emotional right now. This episode is called Things That Make Me Go Ugh. My mom loved my rants on Vitality Radio. And I, well, gosh darn it, she loved pretty much everything about Vitality Radio. And uh, I'd like to spend just the first five minutes or so of this show talking about her for a couple of reasons. I've done this when Vitality Radio was just a radio show. Not too long after she passed away, it was about a year after that, that Vitality Radio became a podcast. And um, that show, I honestly don't know if it ever popped up as a vintage episode. So if you've heard part of this, I apologize. But uh, hey, it's my show. <laughs> and my mom loved this show. And for some reason, I just feel like I need to share some things. My mom never made me go, ugh. But in her honor now, on February 2nd was when she passed, and February 4th will be when this show airs. I'm going to tribute this show, dedicate it to show, this show to her memory as a tribute. And we'll do this, and then I'll share some of the things that make me go, ugh. These next words are from the funeral talk that I gave <clears throat> a few days after she died. My mother, Carol Roma Fuller St. Clair, passed away last Saturday morning. From the day I was born, Mom loved me like only a mother can. She breastfed me for 2.5 years, two and a half years. And if you listen to Vitality Radio much, you know what that means to me. <clears throat> she knew a little bit about the microbiome maybe before anybody even knew what that term was. She taught me the value of close personal human contact. Even through the challenging junior high and high school years, she and I would share probably 10 hugs a day. Oh, how I loved those hugs. Childhood, as Carol St. Clair's son, was sweet. Her smile was almost constant. Her laugh the most unique, beautiful, and infectious ever. There is not anyone that you can find that knew my mom that doesn't remember her laugh. 24 years ago, I bought the family store that I grew up working in. That's now 28 years ago. There would be no family store if it weren't for mom. While, I was all, while it was all dad's idea, it was mom that stepped out of the home and ran that place during a lot of really lean years. She wanted to be home with her kids more than anything else. However, she was needed at the shop, and so she went. She didn't love that job, but she did it, and she did it very well. And the one thing she did love about that job was our customers. Mom always did things well. 
meticulously well. Some of the funny things that I remember about mom have to do with this level of meticulousness, dare I say, borderline OCD level behavior. Growing up, St. Clair was an adventure, and we rarely had extra money laying around. Our clothes mostly came from thrift stores, and I'll always remember iron-on patches to patch up the knee holes in my pants. But when Dad left us nine years before Mom did, he made sure that Mom wouldn't have any problem paying the bills anymore. Interestingly, though, it didn't change anything. She set the thermostat to a very specific 80 degrees in the summer and 68 degrees in the winter and 65 when she went to bed. I would come for a visit and either have to leave my coat on or take everything that I could off. And I always asked her about it and she just smiled. My brother did the math when we were talking about mom the other day, and he figured out that she maybe donated roughly 500 gallons of blood in her lifetime. She never missed an opportunity to donate, to serve, to give to charity, to spend time in charities, to go to the old folks' home in our community and lead the music during the Sunday services. She just loved people. Ten years ago, 14 years ago now, I started a, 15 years ago now actually, I started doing the local show called Vitality Radio. I was so excited but very nervous from the very beginnings of the show when I was really not very good at this. My mom listened to every episode. She would actually set an alarm and sit at the kitchen table and listen to me on the radio. She would often call or text me to tell me how well I did. And funny how being in my mid-30s at the time, I loved having mom tell me how much she enjoyed my show. Not long after I started doing Vitality Radio, I started doing nutritional counseling. I offered to meet with men and help her, sorry, meet with mom and help her figure out a more streamlined plan for her health. For years, we would meet every month in my office of Vitality and talk nutrition for a couple of hours, and then it was time to talk personal stuff. How was my life going? How were my kids? She would bring me obituaries and funeral programs from all the people in the neighborhood who she thought I would have known or might remember. And more often than not, I did know that person, and we were able to share some fond memories with each other. I usually scheduled at least an extra 90 minutes for counseling sessions with mom because, well, we always needed to talk about more than vitamins. She was meticulous there, too. The obituaries were precisely cut from the paper, and when I gave her instructions with her supplements, I had to be precise. How much, how much, what time, with or without a meal, and every other detail. And, you know, it's because of my mom that many of you who've talked to me and told me that you really like the way that I give very precise directions on my bottles, well, that came from her. Perhaps the most meticulous she ever was was when she was the caregiver for my dad, who had Parkinson's disease for 10 years, and for 10 years she served him. The last couple of years were incredibly bleak. His memory, his frustration with the illness, his paranoia, his short temper was almost too much to bear. That is when she would come to our monthly visits and cry. In truth, these are about the only times I ever heard my mom complain about anything. I would counsel her and hug her and cry with her. Regardless of the challenge, it was her duty as she saw it, and therefore she did it. She served Dad with precision and with dignity. 
and respect, and she kept him home until the last two weeks of his life. While the time in the back of Vitality will always be some of my favorite time with my mother, we had lots of great times together. We saw Neil Diamond together twice. We went to the Centerpoint Theater locally just a few miles from our house and watched musicals. We played card games in the basement. We made so many beautiful memories. And maybe the highlights were, were when we went on cruises together. We saw at least 10 foreign countries together after Dad died. We had some great adventures. The greatest things I learned from my mom, though, had nothing to do with business or travel or vitamins or herbs. I learned from my mom the beauty of a life without guile. Mom taught me 100% by her actions how to be compassionate, how to show genuine concern for other people, how to be generous, how to treat everyone I came into contact with kindly and without judgment, and while I'm not as good at it as she was, I'm still working on it. Mom lived a very clean life, a very straight-laced religious woman was my mother. I never wanted to make her anything but proud, and she was proud, very proud of me, probably more than I deserved. No matter how many times I did things to make my life, in business or personally, more challenging, it didn't even matter. I hear from so many of my friends how judgmental one or both of their parents might be, how up and down a relationship can be between parent and child. I never had that. Ever. Not even a little. My mom loved without condition, and at no time can I ever remember feeling anything but genuine love and concern for me. Mom made no enemies. Mom bore no malice. Mom laughed and smiled through all but the most difficult times in her life. Mom loved people, regardless of race, religion, background, or anything else. Mom lived a life worth emulating. And I intend to do just that. Mom, four years is a long time without you, but thank God I got 46 years with you. <clears throat> it just might be because of my mother. In fact, I'll dare say that it's a whole lot because of my mother that this show is a show. For all of you who've listened for years and for all of you who've just recently found me, thank you for indulging me in that. I'm going to take just a very quick break to gather myself, and then we will do what my mom loved the most about Vitality Radio. We'll rant about the things that make me go, ugh. Okay, I'm back on Vitality Radio. Had to gather myself after that little opening. Uh, thanks for indulging me. I think the rest of the show you're really going to appreciate because... You know, it's one thing to just whine and complain about the things you don't like or uh, how the world's going or whatever else. And uh, frankly, I think we all need to vent from time to time. It's good to have a friend, a spouse, a loved one uh, to, you know, say, hey, I'm sick and tired of this. <clears throat> I happen to have a platform here on this podcast where I get to say that to a lot more people than maybe some of you do. Uh, but just complaining to complain doesn't do any of us any good, right? So what I am hoping to achieve today is to whine and complain and then also give you alternative solutions to the things that I'm complaining about. So I believe it will be educational and helpful for you. And of course, I always appreciate you listening to me here on Vitality Radio. 
if you have questions about what you hear, call us 801-292-6662 or jump online vitalitynutrition.com. Okay, so on with the first ever episode of Things That Make Me Go Ugh. Scientists, according to a report coming out on January 27th, I believe it was. I forgot to write that down. It might have been the 24th, but anyway, not too long ago. We're warning the public that consuming eggs could cause blood clots, strokes, and heart attacks. Did you guys hear that? Did you see those? Headlines, because if you didn't see them, good luck finding them anymore. This was wild. In this new age that we're in, where George Orwell would see his worst nightmares come true, uh, the information that matters that, uh, well, maybe it's not the information that matters. I guess it depends on your point of view, but the information that counters the narrative uh, that is being fed to us is constantly being reshaped. It is being deemed misinformation. It is being hidden from view, otherwise known as censored. This is what happens in all excellent communist and fascist regimes. And it really is fantastic uh, for, you know, a good open debate to try and figure out what's actually true. Well, this one was interesting because in the old days of American censorship in the last you know, since 2020, <laughs> uh, when it all really started taking shape and they are all started uh, trying to shove their ideas down our throats without any alternative viewpoint, it was really just, things were just blotted out. Uh, you know, shows like mine, um, thankfully, in the podcast realm, not so much, but on YouTube, were being, uh, you know, banned, taken down. I mean, the Project Veritas thing that hit about Pfizer, if you didn't see that, uh, well, good luck finding it on YouTube, but you can find it on Twitter, and uh, you need to see part one, two, and three of the latest Project Veritas dumps about what happened with Pfizer, because if you don't know about that, talk about things that make you go, ugh. But uh, of course, after uh, something, I don't remember how many millions of views it was on YouTube, they took it down because, well... They didn't agree. They, I don't know what they didn't agree with. It was it was a literal interview with a Pfizer executive, and uh, you know they just didn't like what he said, so they took it down. Uh, that's called censorship, right? And YouTube and Google, uh, they love it. They are they are just sitting there on their high horse, loving that they get to control the narrative as much as they do get to control it. And for that reason, the first thing that makes me go, ugh, is Google. Uh, use Brave Browser. I don't make any money from Brave. I don't know who they are, per se. But near as I can tell, it is true, open uh, searching. You can find whatever you want through the Brave Browser. I will be r r the first one to tell you that Google has a better... Um, a better search functionality. You can find more stuff and I would say more accurate stuff in terms of what you're actually looking for on Google unless you're looking for something about how eggs are apparently now causing strokes and heart attacks. Because when I searched that, the day of those articles coming out across the web, 
Google told me that this was a new story, that it was constantly changing, and it was very difficult to, for them to give me accurate results. I only saw that a couple of times during COVID at all, and I certainly saw it then. And then the fact checkers came in. The fact checkers came in. They said something strange. They said after there was a massive backlash all over Facebook, all over Twitter, all over uh, Reddit, all the public forums, there was this backlash about this ridiculous nonsense that suddenly, suddenly, now that eggs are $9 a dozen for good organic ones and $5 a dozen for the cheap ones, quote unquote cheap ones, and almost impossible to get, and Costco is limiting two packages per customer like they used to have to do with toilet paper during the early COVID years. All of that, all of that was happening, and then these articles hit all over the place saying, eggs are causing stroke and heart attack, sudden stroke and heart attack. You know, like sudden adult death syndrome style death. So now we're going to pass it off on eggs? Eggs? I love eggs from my head down to my legs. That was the jingle. How could eggs be causing strokes and heart attacks suddenly in 2023 when they never did before? Well, because they got to blame something and it's got to be anything but that one thing that was forced into so many arms over the last couple of years. Now, this is where the twist comes in. After the massive backlash, after everybody said, oh my gosh, they're seriously going to blame eggs now? In fact, I noticed something. Most people didn't have eggs or they, didn't, they weren't eating them as much as they used to because they cost four times as much as they once did. And they were really, really hard to get. And yet all of a sudden we have this huge rate of people dropping dead from clots, from strokes, from heart attacks because of eggs that they can't get. Yeah, well, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on on Twitter and Facebook. I saw lots of different posts all over. And then they just started drying up and being hidden. And when people would repost them, they were shadow banned and all the stuff. And then the fact checkers, all oh, the fact checkers, some of my favorite mindless people on this planet are the fact checkers. Because when I say mindless, they can type. They certainly seem to be able to type. They seem to be able to read as well. And yet they can only come to one conclusion, and that is the conclusion that they are paid to come to. That's what a fact checker is. And suddenly the fact checkers, instead of saying, oh, that's misinformation, what they're saying about the COVID jabs, that's misinformation, what they're saying about Moderna or Fauci or Wuhan or any of those things, they suddenly took the side of truth. And they said, eggs don't cause clots. Eggs don't cause strokes. And why did they say that? Because they lost the battle before the battle started. They came out with such a ridiculous, completely implausible scenario. <laughs> and everybody saw through it. Even the people that have believed all the crap they've been shoveling for the last three years. We saw through it. We're not that stupid. 
And so suddenly the fact checkers had to erase the slate, you know, like that etch-a-sketch, right? And start over and come up with better lies. That's item number one on the things that make me go, ugh. All right, so we also have <clears throat> a new definition in the dictionary. I don't, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know what the process is over at Merriam Webster's. Um, I've never been on a dictionary definition committee and hope never to be on one, to be honest with you. But regardless, I don't know how it works. In times where truth was like, there was objective truth, you know, where we could just all kind of agree the sun rises in the morning and it sets at night and everything kind of made more sense in the world. And at least when people were lying to us, they tried to cover it up better. I remember those days. Do you remember those days? Oh, how I long for those days. They were so pleasant compared to what we're dealing with now. And yet, it's so fun to laugh in the faces of these people in the modern day. So I guess I kind of enjoy it both. I, I, I like truth. Now I just have to look for it harder. And I have to question the narrative all the time. And maybe I should have been questioning the narrative all the time before, but now it's a sure thing. Well, here we have a new definition in the Merriam-Webster for a word called anti-vaxxer. Now, anti-vaxxer is a word. It's not a word with a hyphen. It's all one word, anti-vaxxer. And anti-vaxxer has a new definition in Merriam-Webster's. And like I said, I don't know how often they change definitions. I know they changed the definition of vaccine to allow for these new jabs to come out with a new or with the same definition, even though they were a completely different type of experimental medicine than has ever been used on humanity ever in the history of pharma, or for that matter, the history of mankind. They changed that definition, and now they're changing this definition. Do you want to know what the new definition is? And this comes from Aaron Siri. By the way, the only Siri that I'm aware of that's worth actually listening to, okay, or talking to for that matter. But Aaron Siri, who is an attorney fighting for our freedom, our medical freedom, and our health freedom, if you're not following his Substack, I highly suggest that you do. And it is spelled S I R I. Aaron Siri, in my view, is a hero. And I have read a lot of what he's done, and this post is so good that I'm just going to read it exactly as he posted it. He said that uh, the common response to any criticism of a vaccine or a vaccine mandate is to yell anti-vaxxer rather than address the substance of the criticism. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Maybe they could just say, well, why do you feel that way about vaccines? Here's a recent tweet reflecting this reality, he said. This is from a, a, a tweet from someone, silenced survivor. And she said, or he, I'm not sure which, do not ever, ever again call those of us vaccine injured anti-vaxxer. We took the shot. We did it because we have good hearts. We were promised it would help others and was the right thing to do for the elderly and for the community. Sadly, we were rewarded with injury or death. 
Well, I work with a group of amazing vaccine-injured people, over 40,000 of them on my other podcast, the Dearly Discarded podcast. That podcast, not for the faint of heart, but one that everybody should listen to at least a few episodes, because it tells the story of these people who've been silenced after they've been damaged. Regardless, Aaron Siri continues, even those opposed to receiving an endless stream of COVID-19 boosters based on cogent reasoning are often met with the retort of anti-vaxxer. This reality is now reflected in the updated definition of anti-vaxxer in the Merriam uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. The old definition included a person who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccination. And apparently, I jumped the gun, they do have a hyphen in anti-vaxxer. So if you want to look this up for yourself, it's A-N-T-I-V-A-X-X-E-R. Okay, so this is the old definition. Grab this and Pay attention. They made just a couple of changes, but boy, do these changes matter. A person who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccines. That would, in my way of understanding the English language, mean that someone who is opposed to vaccines, all vaccines, or, or maybe at least most vaccines, and certainly would be opposed to mandating vaccination. Now, that's an interesting thing because it says or, not and, and there are a lot more people in America that are opposed to mandating vaccination than are opposed to vaccines, right? Lots of people say, give me the vaccines, but don't make my neighbor take them if they don't want to. And other people say, give me the vaccines and you better make my neighbor take them. But there's a lot more people that are opposed to the mandates than are opposed to the vaccines themselves. So anti-vaxxer cast a fairly wide net before. I mean, I don't even know. Maybe it's 20 or 30 percent of America uh, prior to COVID-19 that would that have fallen into that oppose the mandate of vaccination. I bet it was even less than that. I bet it was less than 20 percent, but I really don't know the number there. A new definition, though, this is it. A person who opposes the use of some or all vaccines regulating, or sorry, regulation, if I can talk, regulations mandating vaccinations or usually both. So a person who opposes the use of some or all, what does that mean? That means if you say, I'm not getting the flu shot, you're an anti-vaxxer. If I'm not getting a COVID booster, well, welcome to the club. You're an anti-vaxxer. I'm not going to get the HPV vaccine, but I'll get the other ones. I've just read some things about the HPV vaccine that makes me very hesitant when I think about possibly getting it or giving it to my child. Well, you're an anti-vaxxer now. I don't want you to make my neighbor get a vaccine just because I want all the vaccines. Okay, well, as someone who just accepted every single vaccine on the vaccine schedule, you're also an anti-vaxxer because you don't want to force your neighbor to get the vaccines. Do you get the point? Because the point is what they've done is they've turned more than half of America, I'm confident of this, into anti-vaxxers overnight. That makes people like me <clears throat> the majority. I don't know if I've ever been in the majority when it comes to <laughs> medicine in America, but now, because I oppose vaccine mandates, majority. Now, because I wouldn't take a COVID jab, majority. I'm an anti-vaxxer. And I am guessing that you are too.
I'm guessing that most of the people you know are anti-vaxxers based on this new crazy, insane, nut job definition that Merriam-Webster came up with. The irony, according to Aaron Siri, is that rationally considering each of these medical products and making an informed medical decision makes you a thinking, rational human being. But if you mindlessly get every single vaccine, then there are those that would claim that you are making an intelligent and thoughtful decision, even if you did no research on your own. Hats off to the public relations firms representing pharma, the CDC, the FDA, and being able to convince the public that up is down and down is up on this one. So, Aaron Siri has some advice for you, and I really, really like it. The next time someone calls you an anti-vaxxer because you have made a decision regarding whether or not to engage in a medical intervention, you let them know that, yes, you did make an informed, independent medical decision, and then wish them luck doing the opposite. Hey, it worked out for Novak Djokovic, who just won the Australian Open. If you didn't see that, that was pretty cool. You can also let them know that since anti-vaxxers are now the majority, you can understand their insecurity and hostility. But they should not worry because the thinking majority is not interested in taking away their rights and choices. They can feel free to vaccinate as much as they'd like. You and the majority just ask that those individuals respect our right to do the same. All right, so that's item number two on the thing that makes me go, ugh. And I hope it makes you go, ugh, a little bit too. And I don't have a solution on that one, right? Um, Oh, my solution, I said I'd offer solutions. My solution on the egg thing is basically no matter what, no matter what those fact checkers say, don't believe it. Because sometimes they're telling the truth. Sometimes they're telling a partial truth. I'd say that's probably what they do the most. You know, they just mix a little truth in with all kinds of lies. And sometimes they're just outright lying. But the fact checkers are not who they claim to be. And feel free to eat eggs. Eggs are good for you. (laughs) Especially if you get the good, clean, organic, pasture-raised eggs. Okay, next one's quick and easy. What does microwave safe mean? Oh, I saw something earlier that just annoyed me. (laughs) And it annoys me every single time I see it. When I see a microwave safe bowl, sometimes they're disposable. Uh, Maybe they give you some oatmeal in a little bowl and say fill it up to here with water and then nuke it. It's microwave safe. Well, what does microwave safe mean? What if it's your Tupperware or Rubbermaid or whatever. Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. Microwave safe means that the bowl won't be destroyed in the microwave. It doesn't mean that the food won't be harmed by cooking it in that way. And it certainly doesn't mean that that bowl won't leach into your food, giving you what are known as chemical estrogens or xenoestrogens or other chemicals that are maybe non-estrogenic, but still potentially dangerous to the human body. It only means that the bowl is safe. It does not mean the person consuming what is in that bowl is safe. So whenever you see microwave safe, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. If you're going to use a microwave, do it on glass or ceramic. And if you're feeling a little bit of kind of overwhelm about all the different things that we're supposed to avoid to have a less toxic home and all of this kind of stuff, then for about 25 or 30 bucks, down at Costco, most most 
of the time and, and really at Walmart or any of the other places too. You can find glassware instead of Tupperware. It'll have a plastic top, but the food doesn't typically come into contact with the plastic top, so it's the glass that matters. You take the top off, and if you do want to microwave, although microwaving is probably the least good way to heat something up, but if you're in a rush, at least do it in glass, and you'll know that the food is still just the food, and it doesn't have the plastic inside of it anymore. And that's a quick and relatively painless investment that you can make as you shift towards a healthier way of living that doesn't have to create a bunch of new stress. Okay, so microwave safe, bleh. Uh, You know, I'm going to throw this one in here, and a lot of you heard it, and I apologize, but I just have to keep saying it because I had two wonderful, wonderful women in my shop just two days ago as I was thinking about what I was going to put into this episode, and they were looking at a product that we sell called Inner Sea. E-N-E-R-C, like energy, but with C on the end. And inner C looks a lot like emergency. And you've probably seen and maybe tried emergency from Costco or Walmart or CVS or any of the other various mainstream places that it's sold. And you probably didn't know unless you've heard me say it because I don't hear anybody saying this. And I feel kind of like a lone man in the wilderness. Uh, when I report on this, but it's true and it matters, and that is that in emergency is made by Pfizer. And again, if you haven't seen the Project Veritas stuff on Pfizer this week, please go seek it out and share it. It needs to be seen and heard to believed to be believed. But Pfizer can't be trusted. Uh, we know that so many different ways, and you don't want to get your supplements from Pfizer. They make Centrum. Centrum, as I've said in previous episodes, sucks. It's a terrible product. And Emergency, I will say this, it's not a terrible product, but it's not a good quality product. They use genetically modified ingredients. Um, they have wrecked the form of vitamin C that's in it. It's now ascorbic acid instead of mineral ascorbates, which aren't nearly, ascorbic acid isn't nearly as good. But I have to say this, and it's important because there's a lot of stuff on the web talking about ascorbic acid and saying it's evil and demonizing it. And it is not true. It isn't true. We have to quit with the extremes. It, this is Jared on his soapbox here. I guess this entire episode is me on my soapbox. But regardless, here's the deal. Is ascorbic acid the optimal form of vitamin C? Probably not. It probably isn't. But guess what we have with ascorbic acid that we don't have with any other vitamin C? We have multiple decades of excellent research proving that ascorbic acid can do things that you almost wouldn't imagine a vitamin could do, including cure polio. We have multiple studies showing that high-level ascorbic acid intravenously cured polio, not once, but lots of times, that it may be the single best thing that someone could do for the measles, and that it has major applications even in cancer treatment. We know this clinically, and that's proven on the cheapest, most basic form of vitamin C that you could put into your mouth, which is ascorbic acid. So let's please take a step back when we say ascorbic acid is evil. Is Camu Camu a better option? Is Amla a better option? 
Are mineral ascorbates a better option? Is liposomal vitamin C or ascorbyl palmitate a better option? I would say it's likely that all of those things could be true. But we don't have the research to necessarily back that up like we do with the ascorbic acid. So ascorbic acid isn't evil. What I don't like about it mostly is that most ascorbic acid is genetically modified. It comes from corn that's genetically modified. And it's highly processed stuff. But sometimes our body does really, really well with highly processed stuff. So we can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater, as they say. But and, and so just, you know, breathe, relax, and take it easy. All vitamin C is probably going to do you more good than harm. And I really believe that even if it comes from Pfizer which I never wanted to say on this show. Okay, so what am I talking about with emergency? What I'm talking about is don't give your money to Pfizer. Please don't give your money to Pfizer. They've got plenty. I promise you that. And emergency is the lamest of all quick effervescent vitamin C drinks on the market when it used to be the best. I grew up on the stuff. I used it from the time I was at least five years old, maybe even younger. It was a great product until about a decade ago when Pfizer bought it and ruined it. So NRC is the alternative, or at least it's one of the alternatives. If you like the fizzy vitamin C drink, four of the main people from the old emergency company, which was known as Aliser, left. They didn't leave. They were fired after Pfizer canned their butts <laughs> and they formed NRC and NRC is an awesome product. It tastes great. It's got the mineral ascorbates, which I do believe are an optimal, a more optimal form of vitamin C than ascorbic acid. It has the electrolytes. It's got all the good things, and it tastes fantastic. I love Inner C. There's another option called Vital C if you'd prefer to just get it into your in, in into you in a capsule form as opposed to in a liquid form. Uh, but you know, for kids, for people who like the idea of the drink, people who want to mix it in with their water bottle when they're playing sports and things like that to get the extra electrolytes inner sea rocks and emergency doesn't so let's get rid of that crap okay how about uh number five on the list calcium fortified milk type products <laughs> all right so here's the thing milk has gone under a transition unlike anything we've seen until very recently, when all of a sudden uh, many other things, such as Drag Queen Story Hour, became a popular thing at local libraries and things like that, we have these milks that are posing as milk, right? I mean, we, we do know, is it safe to say that almonds don't actually produce milk, that, you know, uh, cashews, oats, these these aren't substances you can't get milk from these things not real milk right we can get a milk from a goat we can get milk from a cow and according to the fockers you can get milk from anything with nipples okay i don't know if that's true but i saw it in hollywood movies so i'm assuming it must be and still when we look at these milks masquerading as real milk <laughs> i don't have a problem with that you know, listen, an almond can identify as whatever it wants to be. I don't care. 
what I do care about is when that almond becomes milk and then they add three or 400 milligrams of calcium carbonate or tricalcium phosphate to it, and then they make that milk something that can potentially harden your arteries, give you kidney stones, or cause other issues in the body, including even lower levels of magnesium than you already may have had before you drank that glass of milk. Because for every ounce of calcium that you consume, your body has to utilize magnesium to try and figure out what to do with that. And the problem is that kind of calcium is so incredibly inefficient that it's just going to lay down in all kinds of places in the body. It might make a bone spur or a heel spur or a kidney stone, or it may harden your arteries, but I can tell you what it's not going to do. And we know this. I mean, like we've clinically been able to prove this over 10 year long studies. It ain't going to make your bones stronger. But what these marketing geniuses in, uh, you know, at Silk and uh, who are some of the other so delicious and uh, I'm trying to think of some of these other brands, um, uh, Blue Diamond, they've decided that people are too dumb and think that if they fortify their fake milk with fake calcium that the people will buy it more. And unfortunately, some people do fall for that. But you listen to shows like Vitality Radio. You're smarter than that. You read your packaging. And so if you see on your fake milk, and again, I've been very, I'm just having fun with this one, okay? But if you see on your fake milk that it is um, calcium fortified. If you look on the back and it says 300 milligrams of calcium or 350 or 400 or 450, I've seen all those numbers. If it says more than about 60 milligrams, the calcium is not naturally contained in the product. They're adding calcium to it. There are some good or at least better options. There's a, a product that I actually really, really like um, it's the most expensive one I've seen, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, and now I don't even remember the title of it or the name of it. I'm going to find it. Elmhurst. Elmhurst unsweetened milked almonds is literally just almonds and water. Um, and so that's awesome. Uh, but even the stuff they sell at Costco under the Kirkland brand in that big 12 pack case doesn't have calcium added to it. And that's cool. So you can get cleaner, less potentially harmful um, milk substitutes, and I suggest doing that. Or support your local farm if you can, if it hasn't been banned as if it was cocaine. The other white stuff, raw milk, is phenomenal for most people. I believe it is a healing food, whereas pasteurized milk is a damaging food. And so if you can find a raw milk co-op or a raw milk farm or someone in your area and you can look at raw-milk-facts.com, uh, I believe is the proper URL. I didn't look that up before, but we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, those, those sources of milk are going to be your very best sources of milk. They're actual milk. They're not masquerading as anything else. And the calcium that's in there is naturally occurring, and you may actually have a pretty good shot at absorbing and digesting it. All right, one more before we kick off uh, for the end of the things that make me go ugh, and that is magnesium deficiency. Now, this is going to be a little like a couple of the other 
episodes that I've run. And so there may be some repeated information here, but I think everybody needs to hear it. And I'm going to keep saying it until, <laughs> until it's through to all the people that will ever listen to me. So if you've heard this before, again, I apologize, but you haven't heard this part. So stay tuned. There was a mass email sent uh, to a mailing list, and honestly, I'm not going to tell you who wrote this. If you saw this, you already know. If you didn't see it, it's okay, because frankly, most of the stuff that this guy puts out, I really respect. I think he's a good person trying to do good things. I think that he's been caught up in the propaganda a little bit with this thing, because it sounds too familiar uh, to me from the other marketing, but I'm just going to read it to you as it's stated. Magnesium deficiency could be one of the greatest health conspiracies in history. Now that just feels like clickbait to me. I mean, is it a conspiracy uh, to keep us magnesium deficient? I don't know, but regardless, that's the first line. First, let's be clear. Magnesium is the single most studied mineral in existence. That is true. It powers over 300 critical life-saving reactions in your body. That is also true, although the more the research comes out now, there are people that are saying it's as many as 800 different things that magnesium does inside the body. I mean, that's insane just to think about. To date, thousands of studies have proven it to be beneficial for the heart, energy, metabolism, immunity, sleep, pain, and more. All true. The only two-time Nobel Prize winner, Linus Pauling, who, by the way, did most of his research with ascorbic acid back in the day, recommended that you take at least 350 milligrams of magnesium. That is also true. So, do oh, oh and then also over 100,000 courageous doctors, including top MDs from Harvard, all say you need more magnesium. But there's a problem. This email says, while modern agriculture has stripped our soil and diet of magnesium and maybe up to 80% of the population is deficient, I actually think it's more than that, but that's a good number to start with, the food and nutritional supplement industry have fed us magnesium that doesn't fix the problem because, and these are the two statements that I take the most, um, <laughs> These ones are the ones that matter. This is why I'm ranting about this. And so let's look at these two statements. Most fortified foods products use synthetic, chemical-made, low-grade magnesium the body can't absorb. Okay, so that's a partial truth, in my opinion. I am not a magnesium expert. I have spent many, 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 many hours studying magnesium so I don't know, maybe I'm at some level of expert, but I'm going to tell you what I believe about that statement and please do your own research and tell me if you think I'm wrong. I would love to hear what you have to say. But he says that it's synthetic chemical made. So first off, let's talk about that word synthetic. Did you know that ascorbic acid is also synthetic? And I already told you how I feel about that. So we have to be cautious with that word because not all synthetics are necessarily bad. And synthetic is a weird definition. It's kind of like natural. Like we don't even know what natural means. The FDA doesn't even have a definition for natural at all. And so what is synthetic magnesium? Well, magnesium, its most raw state basically is called magnesium oxide. I've talked about this a lot, so I won't belabor that. But the synthetic magnesium that he's discussing is magnesium oxide. And it can be made in a lab, but it's still made from magnesium. It's, it's, a, it's a, what they call calcination of magnesium. It's a process uh, that puts magnesium into a state that you can consume it basically, because otherwise I have raw magnesium here in my office. 
and it's beautiful stuff, actually. It looks like uh, crystals. Well, they make it into an oxide to make it a consumable product, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But the part of the statement he's absolutely right about is you can't absorb it. Maybe it's 4% absorbed. And the wild thing about that 4% absorption is that they have proven that the more magnesium oxide you take, the more deficient you become. So magnesium oxide is a great laxative. If your magnesium says magnesium oxide on the back and you want to use it as an occasional use laxative, I say go for it. But if you want to use it for the purposes of building up the magnesium in your body, he is absolutely right. You don't want that. Here's statement number two, and this is the one that really bugs me. Most only contain one to three forms of magnesium at best, and when the reality is your body needs all seven forms of magnesium. Okay, sorry, but that's not true. It isn't true. Now, do all seven forms, also there's more than seven forms, so that's even a bogus statement. But I, that's like, like I said, I'm guessing if I were to click behind the wall, I would find a very specific product that has seven forms of magnesium in it. And they would say that that's all seven forms. And that's not true because there's a lot more than seven forms of magnesium. That's the first problem. But also, do we need all seven forms? Well, all seven forms do different things, kind of. Like there is magnesium taurinate, for instance, which has clinical evidence that it's incredibly good for the cardiovascular system because taurine, the amino acid, and magnesium are both beneficial to the heart. Okay. And then there's magnesium glycinate or bisglycinate, which is my form of magnesium that I prefer. It's what I take every single day. It's what I sell in my Vital 5 magnesium line. And I think it's the best magnesium out there. And I'm not alone. I think the vast majority of researchers would agree that magnesium glycinate is the most bioavailable form. There's magnesium citrate, which has like a, it's sort of a happy middle place for people that need a little laxative benefit. Magnesium citrate has a laxative effect, but it also gives you a higher dose of magnesium that actually absorbs than does magnesium oxide, okay? So all of that is great, but the body doesn't need magnesium citrate. It needs magnesium. The body doesn't need magnesium glycinate. It needs magnesium. The body doesn't need magnesium taurinate. It needs magnesium. None of these things exist in nature. If you want to talk about natural versus synthetic, guess what? He says synthetic chemical made is magnesium oxide. Well, when you take magnesium and the amino acid glycine and you bond them together in a chemical process in a laboratory, is that natural or is it synthetic? I consider it natural because glycine is natural, magnesium is natural, and when you bond them together, you get a new compound from two natural substances that become one. I don't see any problem with calling that natural, but it's technically, quote unquote, chemical made, made in a lab. Lots of people would consider that synthetic. In fact, people that would say ascorbic acid is synthetic, and that's why I use camu camu, they would say the same thing probably about magnesium because the only natural magnesium in that view would probably be pumpkin seeds or other kinds of nuts or seeds. And that's fine too because yeah, should you get as much magnesium from food as you can? I think that probably makes a lot of sense. That's how we were designed to get our nutrition, right? I'm talking through this in a way to try and just kind of open up the thought processes for anybody listening about how we're saying 
synthetic and natural and what's what. Because just because magnesium glycinate is made in the lab doesn't mean it's not the most effective form. And this gentleman is saying that one form that's made in the lab is crappy and the other seven forms are necessary. But I'm telling you right now that our body was never designed to need all seven forms, as they say, of magnesium. It was designed to need magnesium, period. So what you want is to get as much magnesium absorbed into the body as you possibly can, and you don't need to use seven different forms to do that. It's just not true. The marketing is what it is, and unfortunately, the marketing has certainly infiltrated the natural supplement industry. One of the things that I used to say at the top of every show is that I try to help people see through the, through the smoke screens of marketing and propaganda on this show. My goal always to be to help you become a more informed and a better consumer of natural products. Please recognize that everybody, including me, has a bias. Everybody selling supplements has a bias, and they're all going to tell you the things that they either want you to believe or that they believe themselves and feel you should know. My, my want is to share with you what I believe is true about natural products and supplements. That's what I want to achieve, and that is what I try to do every single week. I hope that you'll, it'll make sense. It'll land well with you, that you'll say, hey, that does make sense, and I hope that I get to form a level of trust between you and me as I always strive to never betray that trust with the recommendations that I make. But I also know that I'm not always going to be right. I'm not. There will be a better form of magnesium that will come along, I hope, at some point. And then I'll have to go back and say, guess what? Glycinate was awesome, but now there's this or whatever. Hopefully you get the point. Sometimes I'm just wrong, period. I have to go back. I had to go back a year ago. I talked about vitamin K2 and magnesium and vitamin D3. And for years, I'd been talking about magnesium and D3. And I hadn't talked about K2 hardly at all. And then I recognized the error of my ways and said, people need to know about K2 as well. And so then I had to apologize on that show and say, I'm sorry that I haven't talked more about vitamin K2. And at that point in my life, for the first time, I started taking vitamin K2 consistently. Why? Because new information came across my desk and I read it and I studied it and I recognized that I had been only telling two-thirds of that magnesium K2 and D3 story. So that's what this show is about is just kind of, again, you know, me ugging. Yeah, I'm ugging. There's a lot of stuff to ug about nowadays, but also hopefully you understand where I'm coming from with the information that I'm trying to give you here. And as much as I possibly can, when I see people outright lying in their marketing about supplements, I will call them out. I do believe that this person is a middleman. He's not a friend of mine. I don't know him. But uh, I think it's the company that he's promoting that is actually giving him all this stuff. And so I'm not going to call him out because most of the stuff that he does is very, very good. I'll call out the guys like Pfizer for sure. I'll call out the people at Garden of Life that are sold out to Nestle when they lie on their labels. Absolutely. I will, as much as I possibly can, tell you exactly how I feel about all of this stuff. But I am going to be a little bit more cautious on this one because I just don't think that 
I think he's been snowed is what it boils down to. And, and we all get that, right? Sometimes we say things and regurgitate things that we think are true because it was a compelling argument in the first place. And that's okay because it is part of the human condition. I want you to know that I love you for listening to this show. I love bringing you this show. This show is absolutely so much fun to do. And the people that I meet from this show, the people that I've met because I was on Carl Lynn's show, the Just Ingredients podcast, episode 95 and episode 61, those people, many of which are listening right now, you're one of them probably, um, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you taking this journey with me, learning with me, and sharing this information. If you like what you hear on Vitality Radio, go tell somebody, share this podcast, and let's do the best we can to be the healthiest group of thinking humans on this planet. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair. our awesome music is by brian bob young support vitality radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts youtube or your favorite podcast source Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. The FDA has not evaluated this podcast. This podcast is provided with the understanding that information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for care by a medical professional. Thank you.